one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home, they never go home, they never go home, those, those, those boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. There was a moment dirty in the second half on Sunday when Aidan O'Shea was deep in his own half, dished the ball off, got knocked over by a marginally late hit by Owen O'Gara. When he got up, he stood there with his hands on his knees, then started strolling back towards midfield, looking a little bit tired, to be honest, quite early on in the second half. It was a little microcosm of the day. I thought Mayo's key players were probably too far away from the scoring areas. Ultimately, Keith Higgins, as has been documented at this yeah. stage, was pulled back to cover, largely to cover O'Gara, actually. Dublin's relentlessness seemed to tire May out, Mayo out, I should say, even that early on in the second half. And Ono Gar is a really annoying person to play Gaelic football against. He yeah. does a lot of barging over you, and he's actually added a few strings to his bow over the last few years. So he's, yeah. he's, he was very good, but I would say he's quite a pain. He's a handful. A handful. A handful the... always means somebody who is quite annoying. annoying. Yeah, quite annoying. Uh, but yes, he is a handful to play against, John. Um, and uh, I know there's... Virtually unplayable. They always say that about strikers in England. Kevin. Big strikers when they play well. Virtually unplayable. Yeah. Well, what size is he? O'Gara, he's a big man. About six foot three. I but it's think. also the build. He's a I'm very, very strong weight. player. I never oh, talk about weight. But well, judging by, your, judging by your Aidan O'Shea scale, you think Aidan O'Shea is 22 stone 22 muscle? Stone, I'd say O'Gara's yeah. probably got to be 20. Yeah, well, about 19. Maybe. 19, 20 stone on O'Gara. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know that Aidan O'Shea... Is a uh, former leading search diarist from the Irish Times. I do. And do you need to see what his favourite poem is? No. The fish. Yeah, he I didn't he, remember it either on. He responded to the image of that brown fish. Do you know, do you know the poem? Uh, no. Basically, guy's out fishing, mm-hmm. um, gets a bite, hauls up this big, ugly yolk of a fish, mm-hmm. all brown, uh, staring at him with, with, with big uh, eyes. And he sees that and after admiring the fish for a bit, he noticed that hanging out of his mouth is the remains of five or six uh, lines with hooks attached to his lip that he's fought off. Oh, that sounds gruesome. Broken. Well, he's broken free, seeing all these other times. But on this occasion, the guy's reeled him in, see? So he's got him. But the, 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 the hooks are all hanging out of the fish. And a oh. testament to his magnificent struggles, his, his uh, long years 
of existence. And the guy is so impressed by it that he throws the fish back into the mm. pond. So the fish in this case is Sam McGuire. Oh, okay. The fisherman is Aidan O'Shea and the other all the other Mayo men. And I suppose... Uh, I thought the fish was Keanu O'Sullivan, maybe. I misread the analogy. Slide. Yeah, you, you were just a little narrow in your thinking there. One of these days, um, one of these days, I suppose, may I will land that big fish, but not yet. Paul Flynn was talking after. You look stunned, Murph, by that. Yeah, no, it's quite, it was quite something. Paul Flynn was speaking afterwards about backing his, fit, his own fitness and thinking that Mayo would ultimately start tiring. It's interesting because Mayo are as fit as any team in the country, but I, and I don't know if it was that they were less fit. They certainly aren't less fit than Dublin, but mm. when you're chasing those Dublin players around all day, maybe that's what starts getting a little bit tiring. Flynn's a case in point. He's probably a super fit guy anyway. Yeah. Well, I think, well, yeah, Kieran McGinney said that Paul Flynn's probably the fittest player in, in Ireland oh, really? and the best player in Ireland, yeah. Um, and, you know, you, you could certainly make an argument for it. But I think that... Um, you know, what's really tiring is knowing you're not playing well. And hmm. the mental energy you expend trying to get yourself back or get play yourself into the game, I think that's what tired Mayo had That struck more so me about Aidan O'Shea, now that yeah. you mentioned it. I, it, it look, he looked like, I don't know if there's, you don't know what's going on in the build-up to a match, whether there's too much nervous energy or whether it's just what you say there, that you're playing badly and it's hard to fully get to the pitch of it, but... Aidan O'Shea was nothing like what he had been certainly up until the quarterfinal in this game and it's, that's not the reason that Mayo lost but it's one of them mm. he, he and a number of other key players weren't able to they didn't look as energetic as dynamic as they had in previous yeah. rounds which is kind of bizarre yeah and there can't, there can't be a, like there's, there's not a physiological reason for that um, because they have obviously shown themselves to have had all. So it's not just let's do world. more, you know, let's do harder training. That's not yeah. really the answer. I don't. I don't think so. You know, I think that it, that uh, certainly the amount of pressure that Aidan Aiden O'Shea was under, um, you know, the, I I think that that does have a tiring effect on you. I mean, it's it's all I suppose. You know, you take what you learn from the build up to this final. The fact that he was maybe being talked about as player of the year. Ken Early was, you know, taking to the airwaves to call him a Terminator. I mean, I was you know, pretty I think scared. I was pretty scared by what I saw. Yeah. You know, yeah, he's. That quarter final, I, I, uh, I was frightened by that. He was terminating a lot of those Donegal mm. players with extreme prejudice. Owen. Let's not forget that. We're also going to be talking to US Murph today. We will get onto the football in just a second. What are we chatting to Brian about? Well, yeah, it's an interesting story coming out of his beloved San Francisco 49ers because uh, one of their star defensive players, uh, a guy called Alden Smith, uh, was um, pulled over with a DUI driving under the influence on Friday morning. Uh, and this game now obviously happening on Sunday afternoon. Uh, and quite a lot of the San Francisco fan base wondering, you know, with good reason, what exactly one of their star players is doing uh, driving their car under the influence at that hour of a Friday morning. And the, the Niners played him uh, on Sunday, and they took quite a bit of abuse for it, um, given the fact that, really, you know, you should be disciplining your, disciplining your player in a situation like this. And it's particularly bad because they actually had a player last year uh, who wasn't one of the star players, who was basically booted out of the club for a pretty similar offence. Uh, so really, it all comes down to, you know, whether you should treat your star players exactly the same as everyone else in your, your squad. In studio now, now Anthony Moyles and Oshin McConville. Lads, thanks very much for coming in. Thanks for having us. You don't sound too Especially excited. Especially on the last <laughs> week. Yeah, you don't, sound, <laughs> you don't sound overly excited, Oshin. You weren't blown away by the All-Ireland final? Uh, no, I wasn't blown away by it. Uh, uh, as I said to you off air, I was, um, I was in the house on my own watching it. Um, never swap uh, hurling tickets for football tickets. Uh, 
with a man from Limerick ever again because <laughs> he will let you down. If he's out there, I will get him. Uh, I will seek him out. Um, but look, it was it was dis- it was it was a disappointing game. Brilliant for the Dubs, and and to be fair, you know, even though you know at no stage, you know, they fancied him even in the last couple of games. Uh, you got to hand it to them, you know, the way they. I suppose the way they went about their job all year, and I suppose the way they they had the ability to finish the thing off. And regardless of whatever way they finished it off, they just finished it off. They got there, they won the game, and and you have to say that another inept performance in a in a final by Mayo. And there's no nobody wants to kick Mayo when they're down, but so many things that you could point to that went wrong. The first thing is, and every pun that everybody in the country was saying about pushing up on 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 Stephen Cluck's kickouts, and Mayo just completely refused to do that. From early on, and I was watching TV, and as I said, he is like uh, I was disagreeing with absolutely everybody because uh, the, the commentators actually on the TV said that uh, Mayo had got the had got Dublin's kickouts licked from very early on. I think Dublin only lost three of their own kickouts in the first half, and I'm sure it was a lot less in the second half. Yeah, maybe. there was one kickout that I think went over the sideline and looked quite bad, and maybe that gave the impression that Mayo were putting a lot of pressure. on Yeah, them. but otherwise, Dublin won absolutely everything. Uh, Dublin full back lane uh, went went into the to the edge of the twenty one. Uh, the everybody else sucked into the middle of the field and and Cluxon had a very easy job of just kicking it down the sidelines. And I suppose really, you know, as somebody who wanted Mayo to win it uh, more than anything, not to do with the dubs, but just the fact to get them boys over the lane for once. I mean, it was very very yeah. it was very very hard and frustrating to look at and uh, I'm sure it was probably worse if, you know for Mayo fans who were actually there but it, so many things went wrong there's so many basic errors in the game uh, you expect that for the first 20 minutes in all Ireland final played in all Ireland uh, a couple of all Ireland finals and usually you know it's helter skelter first 20 minutes and then it sort of sorts itself out and things develop and people start making the right decisions but it wasn't enough of that and essentially the difference between the two teams was the fact that Bernard Brogan showed up with his head together and, and, and got the scores he wasn't in any way spectacular but he was he was good enough, and uh, as I say, he was the only one that showed real composure in, in either full for, in either forward line. I think there was seventeen, eighteen forwards used, and he was far and away the best forward in show. It is. Uh, Colm O'Rourke said afterwards that he felt that it was flat, that the atmosphere, the match itself was flat, and that the atmosphere is somewhat flat. And I just about managed to get there thanks to a Clare man. Actually, that's where, the way you have to a Clamuri a, a Bricken man. That's yeah. the, the route you've got to go there. Don't don't trust the, <laughs> the Limerick folk, but. Uh, it did seem that way. Mayo were the ones making all the noise. They were the ones who brought the real excitement into it. They were the ones who really needed to win. From I, I know hunger and all these things are overstated for players, but from a supporter's point of view, <laughs> Mayo were the hungrier set of fans. You could see the confidence ebbing away from them. That uh, McLaughlin misplaced hand pass in particular in the second half. Kind of from that moment on, you did, there was just a sense. I don't know if that transmits to players or anything like that, but I think that might have contributed to the flatness of the whole thing. Yeah, well, let's see. Mayo needed to kind of go in with probably a four or five point lead, considering the fact that they played most of the football in the first half. Like the football wasn't great in the first half, as Oshin says, lots of mistakes. 
um, Dublin were really put to the pin of the collar, bar the broken goal, which was was you know long ball in. You know, keeper came probably shouldn't have came, and if he if he, if he was going to come, he should have cleaned everyone out in front of him. You know, so fortuitous enough goal. Um, Mayo played decent enough, so they needed. I felt they needed a four or five point lead to go in, and and psychologically that would say okay, you know Dublin will come at us, lads, but we're still four or five points up. They may get three or four points in a row, but all we need to do is just keep tapping on one. You know, one one point will take two to beat us. Just keep trying to get your freeze, trying to tip on a score. But yet, you know, for all their work and all their effort and everything else, Dublin were still there with them. You know, then Dublin came out and actually got the blast at the start. And from there on, I really felt... There was this kind of air of inevitability about it, you know, just like it was going, even some of the freeze that O'Connor was taking in the last five or ten minutes, he was taking so long over it. I was just going, like, hurry it up, even in the last two minutes. Yeah. You know, even his last free, he took so long in taking it. He took 40 seconds. So I counted He took 40 seconds from the, from the moment the whistle went to when the ball went over the bar. That was 40 seconds. Was was 21. Is that the key yeah. then? Because Mayo had a bit of a gripe about that. And in fairness to them, they lost with a fair bit of class. Uh, they only made passing reference to that, but... Definitely Killian O'Connor was annoyed because he had asked the referee, do I have time for another play here? The ref apparently told him there are 30 seconds left, so he assumed there would be another play after the kick-out. Was it his own fault for just taking too long on the kick? The lack of urgency, uh, you know, coming towards the end of the game. This is not Ireland final. You don't, get, you don't get too many chances. Well, if you're from Mayo, you get a few chances yeah. to win an all Ireland final, but you don't get any real pop, proper chances. And I think all Mayo needed was maybe to get a draw and, and, and have a look at, you know essentially what went wrong, but there was no urgency whatsoever. Even the last kick, even when I think it was was it Varley was fouled. I think he just should have. He should, he should have just turned around, and kicked the ball over the bar. Mm. I mean, like it was a free kick. It was twenty five, thirty yards out. He should have turned. He should have got up off his feet. Instead, Killian O'Connor walked from corner forward. I'm going, come on, man, hurry up! And and then you know the, even the last free kick, you just got it. It's twenty yards in front of the goals. Somebody just. Stick your boot in and kick it over the bar, and let's get out and get one more chance. And if you, sometimes things they got, you know, in that last period, a referee might give a free kick that they even it up or something like that. But serious lack of urgency from from Mayo, and as Anthony rightly says, and an air of inevitability from way before even the even the McLaughlin thing. Yeah, and, and and just but 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 that lack of urgency was even borne out by the fact if you if you watch the game, Dublin's second goal, O'Gara tore his hamstring. That's 53 minutes gone. Keith Higgins was brought back and Keith Higgins had an unbelievable first. He was the standout player in the first half. He was absolutely running the show. Like he was dropping off Jerry Brown. He was causing massive, massive problems for Dublin. Um, But he went back in corner back then and actually shored O'Gara up well. O'Gara did his hamstring. Like literally couldn't walk if you watch it. He actually was kind of hobbling around. Um, And Dublin, you know, if you look at it, you know, Horan will probably take a bit of stick for this, but on the flip side, flip side, Gavin had already used his five subs. So 58 minutes, Rory O'Carroll gets concussed, and he has to go up to the full forward line. And Mayo, Keith Higgins never passed the halfway line after that. I would have just said, right, whoever, whoever is mm. one of our players who is a designated cornerback, go back on him and let's release Higgins for the last five or ten minutes because he has massive pace. He was doing very, very well. They did leave, and I was directly behind that in the Davin, so they did actually... 
once they copped on what was happening with Ogar, they did leave him. You know, they, 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 it wasn't as though they had a man stuck tight to him at that stage. I noticed that a couple of times. Yeah. I actually thought that was more confusing for the Dublin players. I nearly would have taken O'Gara off if I was Jim Gavin because he was actually, Dublin players were looking up, about to pass it. And I think it was Macaulay afterwards said, word got out to us not to pass it to O'Gara because, uh, you know, he was he Yeah, was gone. you could see that. Yeah, I think someone came down the line once and went to give it and Higgins won it out in front of him. Well, but still, Higgins never actually yeah, so you pushed on. The well, I mean, they should have just went, right, let's, let's, let's throw caution to the wind here. We're two or yeah. three points down. Let's go for this. We, we have a hurling final replay uh, this Saturday coming up because a cornerback said, my, my work here oh, is, yeah. done. is done. There's no, there's no point in me sitting the cornerback when we need a point. And what actually needed to happen, it's strange that the example is there from just two weeks beforehand, but that's what Mayo had to do, unfortunately. They, they actually just had to say, right, well, Owen is not going to do anything here. And if he does something, then... You know, we're gonna we're losing. We are gonna anyway. we are gonna get back to Mayo because we're gonna talk to Mike Finnerty um, of the Mayo News in a little while as well. But I just want to ask about Dublin. Uh, great news for the sport of Gaelic football, Oshin, that the, this free flowing attacking Dublin team won the All Ireland. Um, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm actually <laughs> looking at Anthony and using the name Oshin there. <laughs> like it's just confusing matters. Like a, like a, a no luck pass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the I, I think that it is a it is a good thing, and I think the best thing of the whole lot is that. They they have played superb football all year. They've played an open style of football. Um, they they attack in numbers. Um, I think they're they're very very close to being almost unbeatable for for teams who are coming up against them because of the squad they have and, and different things. But they, in fairness to Dublin, you know, they just have to tweak a couple of things. They have to get a couple of things, maybe change a couple of things. I mean. Probably the team they finish with the last day is probably closer to the team that they probably need to be playing and different things like that. And Jim Gavin will, will have found out a lot. It's only his first year. <laughs> He's won in all Ireland and we're still nitpicking at him. You know, and that probably tells you just the quality that Dublin have. But yeah, for for football it's it's absolutely massive. I mean, um the, what the dubs bring to bring to Crow Park and bring to all Ireland final day and semi finals is just is just immense. And every team that goes up to play, and I remember playing against them in the semi-final in 2002. And for us, that was our biggest day. That was our biggest day as in, can we get the monkey off our back? Uh, can we go up and beat the dubs? Because if you do, it gives you a huge amount of belief. So now that they're up there, everybody's going to want to want to want to peg them down. And that's a great way for football to be next year, I think. And as I say, I think they're going from strength to strength. I think it's going to be very, very difficult for for other teams to catch up. And uh, and get up to the pitch of where they are at because I think they're going to improve. I'm going and I think they're going to continue to improve as I say with the squad and that to have and the young players to have coming through. But uh, that's up to everybody else to, to get there, and I think that's good for football. Anthony, you're not that you're not so sure that Dublin are playing free flowing football, but I know you think that Jim Gavin has played it quite cleverly this year in the image of his team that he's projected. Yeah, I think the brilliance of Gavin, you know, and even listening to him after the game, you know, he thanked all the fellas who are on the periphery of the squad. He's a very intelligent fella, you know, he's, he's, and he's, he's obviously, for me, what he's projected, and even if you look at the game, the free count was 32-12 or something like this. Now, there was, say, four or five either side there, which could have went either way, but definitely it was, it was double counts, you could say, at least on the free count. Now, I kind of watched it, um, and I was interested to see that Joe McMahon kind of tweeted about Dublin's cynical fouling in the right area. So it got, kind of got me onto it. But I was watching, Dublin have done this all year in a sense of 
it's nothing rash, it's nothing silly. But as you break from your defence, and especially Mayo, Mayo don't have a scoring half forward line. They rely, like Keegan kicked two points from play and probably should have got three or four actually on, 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 on Sunday. But they rely really on that half back line coming up, getting some scores, uh, you know, whereas McLaughlin doesn't kick them and stuff like that. And what, they, what Dublin essentially did was, if you can get a hand on any kind of defender coming out, stop them. Now, that doesn't mean you take the head off him, you just pull him back. And then essentially what another Dublin player, O'Gara did plenty of times, was he actually stands in front of you, so he prevents the quick free. And essentially, then what happens is the Mayo fellow either pushes him back and there's a bit of a kind of jostling. But at that stage, the Dublin lads have retreated back and they've, they've, they've crowded up the space. So it's a very, very simple little ploy. Um, Sometimes you can't get a handle on them, of course, and, and they just break out from defence. But you, you essentially saw it, really, really saw it on Sunday when Dublin got ahead in that bit of a surge when they got the three or four points tagged on. From that moment on, I just felt... You know, Dublin aren't going to concede Dublin a goal here. Yeah, it was, it was, partic- it was particularly obvious there because there were rugby tackles and the whole lot going in. But you feel that's it, that well, was, that was it, the last. It, it didn't just suddenly start in the last. No, eight no, no. Minutes. Like I mean, the rugby tackles kind of happened in the last two to three, yeah. four minutes. Like I mean, essentially from fifteen, twenty minutes gone, this was happening. And what I think Gavin has done, which is brilliantly, is that he's talked about we play the game in the spirit of the game. So a referee goes in, and the referees are only amateur lads. They go in and straight away thinking. Dublin are a very clean team, Dublin play an expansive game, and Dublin aren't cynical. Now, when you go in and say, all of a sudden, you're, you're, you're refereeing Tyrone, you sit in and you say, all week you're hearing about Tyrone being cynical, cynical, cynical. So if you see a Tyrone player pull back a fella, you say, ah, there we are, that's cynical, but Mickey and Hart, over Mickey Hart is forever talking about the great football his team play as well. He claims that they're not a cynical team. Exactly, but, but perception is key, yeah, and perception is reality. You know, so people are just kind of going, well, look, yeah. I don't believe you. Even, <laughs> even if, you know, as, as, as they say, you know, the, you know, if, he, if he did it every single day and, and Tyrone had no free count, people would probably take an awful lot to actually start to believe it. So I think that has been a masterful move by Gavin. Well, Shane, one element of this victory, and in fact, probably the last couple of rounds, semi-final and final, is how Bernard Brogan in particular and some of the other more experienced players Michael Darren McCauley, Paul Flynn, these guys have been around at least a few years, have come to the fore because in the Leinster campaign the stars were Jack McCaffrey uh, probably Kieran Kilkenny, Paul Mannion these guys between injury and just loss of form didn't really do it as the rounds progressed and it's interesting because you often hear this idea that sports people talk about how fearless they are when they're young and there's no inhibitions and all these kind of things but I know Ron O'Gara is a sports person you have a lot of respect for he had a bit of a disaster in his first Heineken Cup final and he said that was in part because yeah, he, he was fearless and all that but he didn't have a bank of experience he didn't know that he could do it on the big stage is there something to that that you, you can do with the bit, the bit of experience in All-Ireland Final? Then? Yeah very much so I always say that as my career developed or you know you, you and you play in all Ireland finals I used to get more nervous the older I got the more nervous I got but that, but I, f- I found that okay you find a different way to deal with the nerves and I think th- the biggest thing about all this is that you know as I say when that helter skelter first 20 minutes is is over and you feel out of breath and you feel as if I don't know if I can finish this game uh, then you go into the bank of reserve that you have as in you know right I need to make smart runs now uh, when I get the opportunity, I need to make the most of those opportunities. And you you find that out because, especially as a forward, that you're only going to get a certain amount of touches and all that. I'm fine. You're only going to get a certain amount of opportunities. You make you have to make the most of those. So even the likes of Dennis Bass that coming on, uh, experienced player, has played uh, with the Dubs probably six, seven years at at uh, a championship level. When he got that one opportunity to go through, he made the right option. Now there's been there's been times this year when, when Dublin have took the complete wrong option. 
but just in that moment, he said to himself, right, and whatever I do going down here, I know, you know, uh, Caffrey made it sort of easy for him, but he popped it into, into, into Brogan, Brogan, Brogan palmed it into that, and essentially that was probably what changed or what uh, got Dublin over the line on Sunday, but certainly, you know, their big players really did stand up, and it goes back to the, to the thing that, you know, when you've played championship football and you've been in that white-heated championship football, you tend to do when you've been in it more. You tend to do the right things a little bit more than everybody else. And essentially, again, that's that's the difference. I, I didn't think that Mayo's really experienced players like uh, like Aidan O'Shea, who people were looking to, you know, at the weekend to kill you O'Connor. I didn't think they played at their optimum at the weekend. I, I could say the same for Bernard Brogan. But the thing about Bernard Brogan on Sunday was that he was taking the right option more times than not. It's kind of reassuring in ways, isn't it? That you look at the three guys that Owen talked about there, Mannion, Kilkenny and McCaffrey, and it all looks so easy for them. And in ways, it's nearly reassuring to see that championship football isn't easy. You know, yeah. that, it, that you can't just walk in at 19 and just and you know take the world by storm and win all Ireland finals and it'd be easy for these guys that you know that, that when it comes to the crunch that you actually do have to rely, rely on guys like Bastic and guys and like maybe, Bernard and Brogan. maybe the, the young fellas did start to think a little bit more about it you know and, and the more uh, good press they got and different things they got there maybe that's just to get in on them a little bit and, and you go into an all Ireland final and you're thinking well I, I really want to perform now because I haven't performed in the semi-final you know I want it so much and then you know you want it you can want it too much sometimes where does this performance leave Bernard Brogan? He didn't have a great year, but he came good in the on the big day. We're always talking about Colin Cooper, and there's no doubt he's going to go down as one of the greatest forwards of all time. Is Brogan up at that level now, having delivered this performance? Yeah, yeah like, I mean, you know, he's a former teammate, I suppose, so I don't want to say anything, but I kind of, again... His first score he got off his left was an opportunistic score. Mayo probably should have should have got it out of there. His second goal was he showed a lot of bravery getting the flick. His third one was kind of hand, or the second one was handed to him. Um, his 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 next score when he got it and it came off his right foot was a good very point. good score. Yeah. Um, but Caffrey didn't do too badly on him actually in the general run of play. Like Caffrey made a couple of blocks on him, dispossessed him a few times. Like I just think the whole forward division, like Paddy Andrews, didn't have a great kick, kicked a great score, but very rarely good on the ball. The whole forward division really Connolly I thought was very, was busy but also Keegan was very very busy um, so like Dublin when you think of it you know they didn't have Mannion going well obviously he had to go off you know they, they, the subs did well Rock did well O'Gara did I well I guess the point with yeah with, with Brogan in that case is that we talked about Dublin taking the wrong option all year he's put himself in those positions in previous matches and players have yeah. Well, the thing about shots. him is, he's the type of fella who gets the big scores in the big games, yeah. and that is what he got. He got the fight. Look, I mean, if if someone just looked at the paper and didn't see the game and see Bernard Brogan two two, said, "Well, Bernard Brogan was the winner of that game." You know, I don't. Look, I mean, if you look at Keane O'Sullivan and you look at certain other fellas in the Dublin defence, Rory O'Carroll, Philly McMahon, different fellas, I'd just say, well, they were actually really the the winning of that game. McCauley even in midfield, but but Bernard. When it came to the crunch, when there was someone there who who was willing to hold in, stay in, win ball, and and take the shot when it was on, he was the man. Well, Gene, there's a, yeah. a go to player on every team, I think. And when you're when you're in baller and you really need a score, who am I going to go to? Like, give me all those Dublin forwards, even the boys that come off the bench. I'd still pick Bernard Brogan every single time. And people yeah. argue with me all the time. A uh, couple of experienced pundits in particular will argue with me that Connolly's a better player. Give me Bernard Brogan all the time because you know what you're going to get with Bernard Brogan. Yeah, sometimes maybe he's, he was a little bit off the boil. 
every forward goes through that, you know. But again, like he got a bit of stick in, in the in the semi final for maybe being a little bit off colour. He kicked two of the best points I've ever seen kicked in Crow Park. One of them under lots of pressure, and then one off his left foot when Dublin were in serious bother. And when people start kicking scores, it's easy to kick scores when you're 10 points up, easy to kick wonderful scores, stick the ball in the top roof of the net, all that sort of thing. But when you're in, when you're in a close match like that there and you really need scores and somebody steps up and gets those scores, for me that's the sign of a true forward and he's far and away Dublin's best forward. Alright, I do just want to get back to Mayo now because we're joined by Mike Finnerty, sports editor of the Mayo News to find out, I, I don't know if you rank these things Mike, but how tough was this one to take? Yeah, good morning, Owen. Yeah, very much uh, a, a weekend of mixed emotions, I think it's fair to say. Um, just looking at this morning's copy of the Mayo News here, the, the headline on the front page, Bittersweet Homecoming. No doubt about it, the fact that the Miners won on Sunday, in hindsight, has really helped, I think, to, to take the sting out of the, the entire weekend. Um, it was such a huge outpouring of emotion after the Miner final, and that's continued on into Sunday night, and, and again for the homecoming yesterday. And I think the way the senior team encouraged everybody to, to share in the minor celebrations and made the point on Sunday night at the banquet as well that this, their, their loss, their failure, as, as Andy Moran put it, shouldn't take away from the, the minor success. And certainly for many of the supporters I've spoken to over the last couple of days, they're taking great solace in the fact that we came home with a trophy after uh, what promised to be a hugely historic weekend and, and a significant weekend. But in relation to the seniors, this, this one has really hit hard, um, you know, it's been it's been so long. It'll be 63 years, of course, once we launch into next season. And I think the big the big uh, disappointment really is the fact that Mayo didn't play to their potential. They didn't perform to their potential, and that's probably what makes it all the harder to take. Uh, does, uh, I presume everybody has a theory as to why that was the case, but uh, they they settled reasonably well early on, so they didn't have the disastrous start that has upset them in previous seasons. Any idea why they didn't kick on from that? Well, there are, are a million and one theories doing the rounds down here. Um, I spoke to one very knowledgeable football man a couple of hours before the match on, on Sunday, and, and he made the point, and I think in hindsight, I tend to agree with him, that maybe over the three or four weeks since the semi-final, uh, an awful lot of Mayo people had perhaps talked themselves into winning this All-Ireland final, and I'm not so sure whether or not any or some of that permeated across into the squad or not, but... The players were very confident and very bullish all season, and that had been their calling card, and they, they felt they had done the, the preparation. In their own words, the boxes had been ticked, and they felt they were a match for anybody. But again, looking back on it, an interview Pat Holmes did last uh, Sunday week in the Sunday Times came, came back into my mind again, where he spoke about 1997, and he spoke about the fact that when Mayo went up to take Kerry in 97, after losing the previous year to Meath, they had this sense that it was going to happen and, and that they had everything done and that the experience of being there a year earlier was going to make the crucial difference, but they didn't perform. And just surveying the wreckage, I suppose, after, after Sunday, that, that thought does bring to mind again that maybe on, on a subconscious level, the fact that Mayo were back in a second final in a row, had prepared so diligently, had everything right, all the boxes ticked, the performance element of it um, didn't quite come off. And, and there were so many factors, of course, on the day as to why that didn't happen from Mayo having their half-back line tied up with defensive duties to Cluxton's restarts um, causing us huge problems in terms of Dublin securing primary possession, the goals um, and the times they came at, and then our substitutions didn't have the impact that we hoped they'd have. So I think it was probably a, a combination, maybe, and an amalgamation of all those things. 
Mike, Andy Moran last year spoke quite defiantly after a couple of days after the All-Ireland final where he said, look, we're going to go back training. We're going to try and get back there next year. We will win one and we win one. I think we'll win two and we'll win three. We'll get there in the end. Is Do you think that that defiance is there? Maybe it's too early to tell, but is that defiance there this time around? Is there is is this the defeat that will finally kind of break Mayo? Well, certainly from what I've heard, Owen, since, since five o'clock on Sunday evening, I would say that defiance is there and then some. Um, I heard Andy speak at the banquet on Sunday night to 1,600 Mayo people who had, um, who had turned out. And uh, there was one line in particular that, that, that stood out for me when he said, we stand tall, we stand proud, we're Mayo men, we're Mayo women. And he followed that up by saying that if we believe in the process and we put it together, um, we'll get over the setbacks, we will reach our final goal and we will be back. And that was a message that James Horan uh, drove home as well in his speech. Um, James's words were, you know, let's go at it again, that uh, there's no doubt in his mind that Mayo have the, the talent, the potential and uh, the, the drive to come back from this. But of course, as we said this time last year, that's easier said than done. And having climbed to the to the top, uh, or very near the top of the mountain two years in a row, they're right back down at the bottom again. And already there would be some talk um, that perhaps a number of players are considering maybe going travelling, um, at least for a few months. You have Killian O'Connor and Alan Dillon who are, who are going to require surgery on their respective injuries in, in the coming months as well. And, of course, James's future uh, is, is uncertain, I suppose, is the best way to put it at the moment as well. He does have a two-year extension to his contract, which brings him up to the end of the 2015 season. But interestingly, in a number of interviews since the match, James hasn't confirmed um, that he'll be back on board next year. Uh, he said he hasn't had a chance to think about next year yet. I think um, my reading of it is that, that James will be back on board, I think, especially in light of what happened on Sunday and, and the way that, that Mayo failed to, to play to their capacity. But until he confirms that, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a grey area as well. OK, Mike, listen, thanks so much for taking the call. Thanks, Owen. Good morning. That's Mike Finnerty, sports editor of the Mayo News. I'm quite interested in that theory, lads, that maybe, I don't know, he didn't say it's overconfidence, but the fact that they'd been there, they'd paid this particular team, had paid their dues, they'd played very well this year, they were back there, they knew they could learn from their mistakes, that there could have been a sense that actually, as Pat Holmes thought happened in 97, that, that this was theirs and maybe that, that wasn't the best mindset. Yeah, that possibly could have seemed true. Um, you know that they were just kind of nearly going to be handed it. But yeah, like, we I mean, deserve it. That's so it. We're going to get it. If if that was going through their heads, it's it's a ridiculous mindset to go into a game. Um, Dublin were never going to hand it to them. You know, Dublin Dublin have seen massive development going on. You know, over the last number of years, and if anyone, like you would have thought, maybe that the Dubs have always had that slight inclination that okay, well, we we deserve all <laughs> Ireland's because of what's going on. So. If they were, that, that, was a, that was a very, very dangerous way, way to go in. Would you go with that theory? Do you think that might have been the case? Uh, yeah, it, it certainly seems as if it is, but all the boxes weren't ticked because of the simple reason that the major box they had to tick was the Stephen Cluxton thing, and they got it so unbelievably wrong that it was scary. And uh, for them still to only come up a point short and get so many things wrong and make so many basic errors, I mean, yeah, there's, there's room for them to go again, but thing about starting all over again, on is that there's going to be so many teams who are so hungry for this next year, you know, and there's going to be so many teams who are who are probably capable of of up there challenging. And I'd say a lot, of, I'd say Sunday's game give a lot of teams a lot of encouragement, you know, that they can go up and and especially the likes of Kerry and that who 
who you know who who almost took the dubs but only got edged out by seven points in the semi final. <laughs> uh, but there's going to be so many teams. You're going to probably look at a rejuvenated Cork team and different things like that as well. But from a Mayo point of view, very hard for those boys to go again. I know it's very. I've been at those. You know the rousing speeches. You know when you when you want to go again and everybody wants to go again and it seems brilliant. When the cold light of day, it's it's a lot tougher than that. You know, when you you start go back training, them boys can't go back training in the next couple of weeks, in the next couple of months. They're all going to have to go and play club football. Talk about Killian O'Connor and Alan Dillon who need surgery. They're going to be put under severe pressure straight away by their club. If you can give what you give to the county, if you can patch yourself up for the county, why can't you do it for the club? That puts things back. Next thing, you know, possibly miss the National League. You know, you're patching the team together. And For me, the one thing that Mayo need to do next year is they need to come into the Championship fresh. They can get through a Connacht. No disrespect to other teams in Connacht. Yeah. They can get through and win a Connacht title in second, third gear. And maybe that's the way they need to do it. Rather than switching it on in a couple of months and training like absolute dogs, Let's let's take a break. Let's give the players who really need a break a break, not a break as in, but not have them in that in that football thing all the time. Get away, do something, train train differently. Because you got to the more a, a manager tries to go to the wild, the more he needs to the more he needs to think outside the box, change things, freshen the whole thing up. And I think that's what Mayo will need to do. And and then really go at it next. Do what Kerry do. Go at it. Go really go at it next. May or June. All right, lads, before we let you go, Footballer of the Year. Whoa. Um, <laughs> got me on that one. Footballer well, of the Clutchton Year. Clutchton or Macaulay, isn't it? Macaulay's had an unbelievable year. He's had a very, very strong year, yeah. Um thing about Cluxton this year, it's funny, uh, the kickouts have been brilliant in various other aspects of his game. He hasn't actually stopped as many no. shots as previous year, and he is a goalkeeper. He didn't do very well for the goal. <laughs> for the hay ball, under the hay ball, he yeah. made a mistake yeah. early on as well. Yeah, I don't know. So you, maybe Macaulay for you, Anthony? Uh, yeah, I think I'd go with Macaulay, yeah. O'Sheen? Yeah, I think I'd go with Macaulay, Michael Macaulay. Yeah. Okay, we've got consensus at the end, but uh, we'll leave it at that. O'Sheen McCormick, great stuff. Thank Anthony Moyles, thank you. Thanks, Colin. Right, thanks, lads. I knew the place. Good lad. Clough, as he calls me Rabbi, didn't know them. He said to me, what can you do that the boss hasn't done? You, the boss. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. But there's no way to win it better. Why it's not? Lo- no, 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 no. But that's the only hope we're, we're, I've got. We're doing, we're doing lots for much. And then but that, well, that I can only look straight. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good lad. That he calls me Ravi. Good lad. Now that might that might be you know aiming for utopia, and it might be might mean being a little bit stupid, but that is the way I am. I'm a little bit stupid regarding this type of thing. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. Fairly unanimous on Michael Darm. Then again, I was sitting in this exact seat last Thursday, Murph, and it's fairly unanimous around me that. Mayo were going to win the All-Ireland. Yes, I was. tentatively suggested Dublin. I, I, was, I was admonished by uh, a couple of Dublin supporters for not being more forthright, in my opinion, that Dublin would win the game. Yeah, you got to back yourself. Get confident, I th- stupid. I threw it out there. Yeah. Then I was asked, was I certain? And then I said, of yeah. course not. Yeah. You can never be certain, though. I just didn't want to be cocky. I knew Dublin were going to win, Ken. Wasn't that never an issue? I knew Dublin were going to win. You yeah, actually Ken, did. Ken, 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 was, Ken couldn't believe why so many people were tipping up. See, a lot of people were... I heard a lot of... I hear most of the people I came across were tipping up Mayo, right? But a lot of them are prefacing it by saying, I know the dubs are being tipped, 
but I'm going to yeah. tip Mayo. And I was thinking, I haven't heard anyone, I haven't heard the people who were doing the Dublin tipping. Yeah. No, Except for Ken Early here. I was confident from, pretty much from the beginning of the championship um, that Dublin would have the uh, conditioning, the focus, um, and the creativity, which I think is... Uh, is maybe it's something which has been, which has been lacking from some of the successful teams over the last ten years. What did you make of Jim Gavin's comments afterwards? He was asked. He was. T- t- there's always the stereotypical answer that you might expect from a manager that we already start looking at 2014. But he was even more specific. He said, "Well, you know, we're behind other teams. I've been talking to other managers, yeah. and because we've been in this pesky All Ireland final, I'm now behind in my plans for 2014." Yeah. Is that a little joyless or is that the kind of leadership <laughs> that you need? One of the most joyless things I've ever heard in my life. Was he joking? I only saw that quote in print. No, it sounded like he was joking. Maybe he was just doing it to intimidate the, the others. You know, the, the mind games start here. I don't know. But I mean, if, if it is seriously the case that you can't um, just be happy for one day that you actually won the thing you're tr- you've been trying to win all year, <laughs> you can take a day I mean, off. Even at half nine, by the time the Sunday game... Evening show is yeah. If you want to try and start talking yourself down, then then that's fair enough. But, but in the look, like the Jim immediate Gavin, aftermath, you know, that's Jim Gavin. You know, yeah. such is his sense of responsibility to the people of this city. That you he know, groaned at the final whistle because he knew I'm going to have to win this next year. Yeah. And he go, I'm going to have to win it by two points. He's never happier than when he's serving Dublin, and uh, and he's right out there. He's out there today at this moment, now, working on All Ireland 2014. Coming up at six o'clock tonight. That's. Yeah, they have asked for that, really. France are going to the World Cup. Get over This fellow Ronaldo is a cod. Boom, 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 foul. Boom, 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 yellow card. Nah, it's actually the ball, sir. I have to ask you language. And I suggest you shut up and show more football. Good lad. I don't throw teacups. It's not my style. I think I'd rather throw punches. What you doing down here? You're showing me that. Second captain's football. Yeah, we're going to talk a bit about Paolo Canio later on. Owen with uh, Richie Sadler, who... Um, I think we'll have some information for us on what was happening behind the scenes at Sunderland. Uh, obviously, Paolo Canio, uh, his management methods have been judged a failure by pretty much everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're getting specifics from Richie. Yeah. And they may shock. Will they? <laughs> <laughs> will anyone really be surprised? Is there anything that you could hear about Paolo Di Canio that will actually shock Let's you? Let's just say the players... None of the players particularly enjoyed playing for Paddle the Canyon. Maybe that's, I don't know, maybe there, was, there were one or two rogue guys in there who thought, now this is a kind of dictatorial style I like to play under, but in general, that wasn't the case. No. And it's not just playing, it's the treatment of, this is what I, I find most interesting, I know, about the digging that Richie's been doing here. He's going to talk to us about how staff were treated, how people around the club were treated. It was not a happy place. But no, it doesn't, it doesn't really sound like it's been a happy place. Uh, although I see that the Sunderland fanzine has already written a, kind of a, a love supreme, it's called, has written a, uh, an open letter to the players going, well, you know, you've got rid of uh, old Paolo now, fair play to you, but going to have to see some improvements from you too, you guys as well. So um, I don't think everyone is, is particularly impressed with what's happened here. We'll also be talking about the real power broker in Irish football, Ray Houghton. Ray Houghton. He's back in charge of the managerial appointments. Yeah, well, the FAI are, are, have, have put himself in Rude Doctor, the mysterious uh, Rude Doctor, uh, the high-performance director, who still hasn't done an interview, I don't think, since he, since he got the job. Um, he, they're now uh, in charge of uh, making a comprehensive assessment of the managerial market before the FAI proceeds with its appointment and Noel King is, is the interim manager. Right now it's time for US Murph. 
Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game. No matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. He's out on his feet. Frank Capitino's going to let him keep going. Got it! Touchdown! Touchdown, Gordy! Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Brian, great to talk to you again this week. Hope you're, hope you're in good form. Yeah, missed you guys last week. We had to take a little uh, schedule break. It didn't work out, but glad to be back, and especially for all the uh, the podcast listeners out there. I just want to say that my new dream in life is to make an in-person appearance on Second Captains Live. <laughs> After watching my very first episode on my laptop, I got a huge kick out of it, boys. Great job. Enjoyed the, the heck out of it, and now just waiting for my booking. That's all. Yeah, sounds good, Brian. We'll get, we'll get our people onto that as soon as possible. But thanks for the kind words. Talk to us about Jim Harbaugh, the man who's come across, or who we've come across many times while chatting to you over the years and particularly recently. But the reason I want to talk about him is his treatment of a, a bit of a problem that he had late last week with one of his better players, uh, not a football-related problem, an off-the-field issue, which, which he dealt with in an interesting way. Yeah, wow, man, this is all the rage in San Francisco and nationally because the 49ers are such a high-profile team because of their success the last couple of years, because of their head coach who draws a lot of uh, um, criticism and praise for his behavior, for his praise for his winning, criticism for his often abrasive ways, and now we have a whole new chapter, and that is, as you alluded to, number 99 on your roster, Alden Smith, the superb natural pass rusher with just incredible athletic gifts uh, who comes off the edge as an outside linebacker and in the two years he's been in the league has established himself as a star uh, already one of the best pass rushers in the league a vital part of the 49ers success in fact he was voted team MVP by the players last year uh, getting into problems with the law yet again now in the last year we've had him uh, have a situation at his house where gunshots were fired and uh, two guys are suing him now for getting shot at a party. It wasn't Alden who pulled the trigger, but uh, Alden was found to have had illegally possessing um, firearms that he hadn't registered. Then he got uh, popped for a, a DUI down in Miami, Florida, that, uh, driving under the influence uh, in Miami, Florida, that was reduced to wet, reckless driving. And then the most serious of them all, Friday at 7 a.m., two days before their big game against the Indianapolis Colts, five days after they lost in Seattle, at 7 in the morning, he drove his car into a tree in a residential neighborhood in San Jose and was found uh, passed out at the wheel with his foot on the gas, spinning the tires excessively. And when the cops finally got him, he blew a .15 on the blood alcohol level, nearly double the legal limit. So it's just awful yeah. stuff that could have been very, very dangerous. And all the, the, noise, the, the news is, is that uh, Jim Harbaugh went ahead and, and let him play Sunday. And it's caused a huge firestorm about what is right and what is wrong, uh, what is compassion and what is punishment. And uh, Harbaugh and the team owner Jed York and the general manager Trent Baalke said that they thought they were doing the best thing for Alden long term, that he would seek treatment after the game, but he needed to be around his family quote-unquote, family, that is his team, to play and feel um, dedicated to something. A lot of critics, me included, said, wow, this is a repeat offender who's showing no discipline or professionalism off the field. You should have not let him play in that game to send a message, not just to the team, but to the community at large. So it's all the rage right now, more controversy with Harbaugh and the 49ers. Are people buying that explanation, Brian? Because on the surface, what it would appear to me to be is a clear case of 
treating a very good player, a very important player, with a little bit of preferential treatment because you need him to try and win you a game. No question. I'm with you on that one entirely. And believe it or not, we, just, we spent four hours Monday morning taking all kinds of reaction to it. And believe it or not, it's about 50-50 or well, maybe correct that two-to-one favorite like you and I do, Owen, which is, wow, you're really just taking care of this guy because he's a great player and you want to win the game and you, you, you don't really care. Another uh, faction, though, about 33 to 40 percent of our listeners and callers and texters and tweeters are saying, hey, first of all, he, uh, if, a, if a regular, the various arguments we heard were, if a regular employee in life has a DUI, he's still expected to go to work uh, on the next day. Uh, another one is, yes, compassion is more important than punishment. Uh, people with a disease need to um, be made to feel uh, loved and or welcomed, some sort of coddling new age theory that I'm not quite sure. I'm just giving you their explanation. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't buy him. Uh, others saying, get off your high horse. Everybody makes mistakes. Uh, he's regretful and remorseful. So any number of varied ways to excuse the behavior. But like you and me, I'm a 49er fan. I felt, I, to be honest, when he took the field to start the game Sunday against the Indianapolis Colts, I felt a little dirty as a 49ers fan. I was like, yeah, geez, man. I mean, not even, not even a small message to the community, uh, to, the, to those of us who are you know, raising families or trying to be productive members of society, that this sort of stuff isn't tolerated. They had the owner of the 49ers, Jed York, stood in front of the media uh, afterwards, a huge bank of microphones and cameras, and he said, I understand some people are going to disagree with us, but those of us who know the situation knew that this was best for Alden long term, and he will now be gone for an indefinite amount of time. Uh, as he seeks treatment. Now, the big question is, you know, is this going to be like a Lindsay Lohan type of thing where he's in and out of rehab in a week and, and gets more trouble? Or is he going to be very serious about it? And if so, how much time would that mean for one of the best players for a team that's suddenly struggling on, this is a super, you know, we're talking about the team that was five yards from winning the Super Bowl, now starting one win, two losses, and getting waxed two weeks in a row, one in Seattle, one at home to Indy with Colin Kaepernick, my beloved star quarterback, yeah. looking befuddled and perplexed all of a sudden. Brian, the reaction to it is, is interesting there, as you describe it, to this story. How much of it is cut? Well, maybe a, a better question than what I was about to ask is, how embarrassing is this for the NFL? Uh, what I was thinking of putting to you was that maybe because there's, there are other players in the league who have been um, involved or certainly allegedly involved in more serious issues, not to minimize drink driving or anything like that or DUI offenses, but there's been some pretty heavy stuff going on involving other players. Two parts to that. Does that maybe color some people's views that they think, well, this guy didn't do anything quite as bad as that? Uh, and secondly, is overall it's quite embarrassing to the NFL, forgetting about the 49ers. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny you mentioned football, the football culture, because another story came up over the weekend that one of the best players in the league uh, for the Denver Broncos, Von Miller, this great pass rusher for them, he, it, it came out over the weekend that ESPN reported that he not only did he fail a drug test in the offseason, but that he tried to manipulate the drug test with the help of his urine collector, tried to cheat the drug test, and they tried to swap out urine samples. So more um, just sort of like, it's almost like in the NFL, you're sort of inured. Now, that wasn't obviously the same as driving drunk and endangering society. But my point is, is that speaking to your point of just repeated uh, violations of sort of ethical and legal conduct by NFL players that you just don't really see in other sports, especially Major League Baseball or the NBA, maybe the NBA, you see a little bit more of it. But you almost get sort of, and why I think some of the people are excusing Alden's behavior is they sort of almost get used to it. Like, hey, man, 
Let's play football on Sunday. You know, I'm not, it's not my concern. He didn't, you know, let, yeah, it's bad that he did that, but let him get out there and play. Now, I will say this. The league and Roger Goodell, who we've talked a lot about, the commissioner of the NFL, who's got his hands full now with the NFL because of the concussion stuff that we've talked about forever, and who knows how that's going to turn out, even though they settled that lawsuit. Who knows what the future holds with that? But he's, as you mentioned and alluded to, so many guys are committing criminal conduct. So many guys are, are getting into trouble with the law that they're having to come down on these guys, you know, hard now. Now, he'll say that they will suspend Alden Smith. He will get suspension, but the NFL doesn't suspend until a, course is, a case has been adjudicated in court. So that will be probably in the off season, And they might suspend him for two to four to five to six games, something like that. So that's what they say. They say, hey, we're trying to crack down on these guys. We're trying to clean up the league. But it, it, the league, you know, you, we can talk many ways about the sociological reasons why football creates more of these incidents than others. But the fact is, it does. What are the sociological reasons, then, Brian, while you're at it? <laughs> How much time we got? I'm going to fly over and do a sec- second captain sh- show live <laughs> for an hour. Well, I mean, my goodness, uh, many of the players who enter the NFL. Uh, well, first of all, we can talk about steroid culture, right? Steroid culture creates a lot of imbalanced behavior, and that's something that I think maybe we all kind of assume is prevalent in the NFL. Uh, we can also talk about the win-at-all-costs mentality that, that, um, that justifies kind of taking football stars and gliding them through high school and through college, whether or not they're academically qualified to do so, uh, and, and sort of just covering up their social and academic ills because they're good on the football field so that they have no feeling of behavior uh, or, or responsibility about their behavior because they always know that as long as they make a play on Saturday in college or Sunday in the NFL – that uh, it's okay that they can do whatever they want. So we can talk about the socioeconomic uh, situations of many of the players who come from poor backgrounds and often not from nuclear families with a lack of, uh, you know, maybe a, from childhood, a lack of a, a structure to their home. A lot so, of those problems, though, Brian, I would have thought uh, to various degrees would exist in the NBA and also in Major League Baseball. Not as much as Major League Baseball. Um, Major League Baseball, you, you, you don't get that kind of – it's not as big of a college sport where guys are, 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 are treated like absolute gods. It's a very, yeah. very obscure college sport. You, you really don't play in front of any crowds or, or generate any revenue. You, you have to toil forever in obscurity. So you're not – you don't have an entitled mentality. Basketball, yes, and we do have a little bit of problem in basketball, but I think the violent nature of football leads to people – people's behavior being more on edge, more reckless, because they're sort of the way they play. The sport they play is reckless and on edge. So it leads to a different kind of personality, a gladiator, as it were. And you hate to see your gladiators getting behind wheels of cars after partying or thinking that they're indestructible when they go partying or thinking that everything's going to be fine because they're good football players. So, yeah, I think football leads probably to the most of it, to the most uh, reckless and, and illegal and immoral behavior out of all the sports because of all those reasons combined. Brian, just a very quick word before we let you go. Fluctuating fortunes for the San Francisco 49ers and another team, another storied franchise in American sports, the Boston Red Sox. They had a pretty horrible time of it last year, but they had a good weekend. They've had a, they, they're, uh, things are looking up for the people of Boston. 
Yeah, good for the Red Sox. And, you know, I, you know me in baseball. I love baseball. So anytime you guys want to talk baseball, I'm, I'm your man. But, yeah, the Red Sox, I know, have some of following over in Ireland. Of course, the connections between Boston and Ireland are so thick. Uh, and the Red Sox, of course, being such a storied franchise with their two World Series in 04 and 07 that created this massive culture of Red Sox fandom across the country where Red Sox fans show up at every stadium now across the country. And you're right, total humiliation last year. Absolutely ran the franchise into the ditch with their horribly mis, uh, mis um, what's the word, mistake of a hire for Bobby Valentine. Which, you guys don't need to know about that, but he was an awful people person, and they ran him. And credit to them. They fired Bobby Valentine. They brought in a different manager, John Farrell, who's a much more reasonable and calm man. And then they made a lot of decisions to bring in players of character, hardworking guys who are kind of team-first guys like Mike Napoli, Mike, like Shane Victorino. Uh, they kind of got rid of some guys who were bad influences, the Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford type guys and, and, and uh, uh, Josh Beckett. And they brought in kind of character guys, and then the guys performed. And so they're back, and they have the best record in the American League. I will tell you this, though. Watch out for the scrappy little team out here in Oakland. I'm not an A's honk per se, but I am a huge admirer of what Billy Bean, the Moneyball kid, is back at it again. They won the American League West the same weekend that the Red Sox won the East. It's almost destiny that those two teams are probably going to play for the American League Championship. It'll be the big money Red Sox against the little money A's, against the historic Fenway Park, against crappy Oakland Coliseum, which has sewage pipes backing up all through September. They have raw sewage in the clubhouse, raw sewage in the dugout out, and yet they continue to win with uh, charisma and energy, so that will be a clash of titans if hopefully they meet in the American League Championship. Brian, great stuff as ever, thank you. All the best, Owen. Brilliant stuff as always from Brian there. The whole idea, and I think myself and Brian seem to be coming off, uh, singing off the same hymn sheet on this one, whatever about playing this player, he shouldn't mm. play it full stop, but at least if you're going to play him, just have the decency to admit it's because you need to win the match. You're not doing it out of the essentially to help him this yeah. guy who may have some issues and who's been just uh, charged with the uh, uh, driving under the influence charge and you're saying that the reason you're playing him in this game is because this is what he needs now he needs to be playing in this high pressure match you're playing him because you want to win and you're yeah. struggling to win at the moment so at least, at least give us that decency but Murph the Coliseum in, in Oakland I was actually there a number of years ago mm. I quite kind of liked the stadium it was not your typical sparkly American sports yeah. stadium. You like was, getting down and dirty. Yeah, but l- literally, it's down and dirty at the moment because the sewage is blocked up over the last number of months. That's sewage, what I you know, I'm, I'm very great. put up with a lot of things <laughs> in a stadium, but, you know, the sewage, that whole area, needs, the, the plumbing worst? needs to be... Have you ever been in a real, really bad stadium? Uh, It'd be nice now because if you met, you know, just... Well, people are. Everyone is now saying, "Well, Murph's definitely going to say Tume Stadium now." But I'm no, not going to say Tume Stadium. I'm, I'm fine. not going to say Tume What's Stadium. What's wrong with Tume Stadium? It's a Genuinely. regional ground, which is which is nice, and it's I like it, and they've made some improvements, and it's all very nice. Uh, the the worst ground of well, I mean, the old Lansdowne Road is pretty terrible. <laughs> when you look, when you think about it, you know, yeah. it was really really bad. Why? And I know. Well, if the seats for a start. Oh, and luckily, you are not quite six foot tall. Um, <laughs> For those of us who are above six foot tall, you literally couldn't sit in these seats. I mean, I would, you know, I would have to throw my legs out over the seat in front of me to even get into any sort of an approaching comfortable position. One more point about last Sunday before we wrap up. We talked about the strange kind of atmosphere at the mm. game. And it, of course, it was joyous for us Dublin fans who were there. But there, there were a couple of factors at play, which are obvious enough, really. One of them was that it wasn't quite as euphoric as a couple of years before mm. because it wasn't as dramatic 
It also wasn't against Kerry. Yeah. Which I think every... You guys I, I think, love sticking it to Kerry. Well, I think every county would like to beat Kerry and all are fine if they mm-hmm. could pick any county, I would have thought. Also, you could sense how much it meant to the Mayo people, and certainly where I was sitting in the Davenstan, I was surrounded mostly by Mayo people. So you're kind of jumping up at the full-time whistle, and almost immediately... Seriously, though. Well, you're looking at me like I've got... Like, Something wrong with me. Well it's, a, well, it's a game. You know what I mean? Woodside has to win, and it's never going to be Mayo if it's an All-Ireland final. <laughs> and they would have spoiled everything about what's special about that county. If they'd won that match, it would have ruined everything. They would have been just another county instead of the, the accursed outsiders forever condemned to wander in the wilderness, uh, their, th- their uh, thirst never slaked by the glory of victory. You know, and that's, that's an important role. No, in, Ken, in I the would... Irish Gaelic footballing landscape, they play... They play a really important role. And if they were just another one of these kind of, oh, you know, we, we've fluked in All-Ireland, it would kill the game in Mayo. It would, it would have killed <laughs> the game of Gaelic football in Mayo for the next 30 years. They it won the would, minor. They won the minor the weekend for the first time. Such Ken. an interesting take on this. They game. won the minor for the first time since the 80s. Is that a bad, bad sign? I'm saying the seeds, that's, a really the good, se- that's a really good sign. The seeds of winning. a future era of dominance are being sown, driven into the land uh, of Mayo by these uh, consecutive failures. And, you know, I mean, I'd say they're pretty much a broad saturation point. Every able-bodied male under 35 in the county is now playing. It's total war now for male. They've got to get that All-Ireland. And they're actually going they to get it. Yeah. You know, they're going to get it. They're gonna, they're, of course they're going to get it. I mean, it means so much to you, you know, take one. You know, they're going to eventually have one. But, you know, I think they might, they might win a couple. And I think once the first one comes, they might win a couple. But I'm just glad it's gone on for a year because, as I said, that's the really special thing about the We're back on TV tomorrow night on RT2, 11 o'clock. That's Wednesday night, depending on what day you're listening. Uh, Second Captain's Live, Murph. Great lineup there. Donal O'Cusick, Richie yep. Sadler, Aileen Reid, Ireland's top female triathlete who's in the top 10 in the world. We spoke to her on this show here in the Irish Times just last week. And Mark Rowan, our great Paralympian, yeah. is going to be with as well. He's been involved with Westmead footballers this year, so we'll have a good, and good chat with Mark. And experienced it firsthand, the, the, dubs, uh, the yeah. rat of the dubs, the All-Ireland champions. So, yeah. uh, Westmead yeah, certainly didn't get too close to putting, uh, um, putting that particular fire out, but no. we're just about done for here. Second Captain's Football coming up at 6 o'clock tonight. Do check out twitter.com forward slash secondcaptains and facebook.com four slash second captains. Murph, thank you. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Thanks guys. Man. Thanks for listening. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.